Our Bible reading today comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love, in, in, and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Jamie's um, unwell. Uh, he was actually down to preach, so uh, I'll be um, speaking in his place and using uh, much of his material. Um, it's Mother's Day today, uh, and I wonder if you ask your children, how might they define love? Here's some definitions. Noel, who's age seven. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Lauren, age four. I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. <laughs> what a task, buying new clothes. Uh, Carl, who's age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> so long as they are only smelling each other, that's fine. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you, says Karen, who's age seven. I think she's been watching the Disney Channel. Um, I wonder how you would describe love. I think Rebecca, who's aged eight, gets the closest. And she says this. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Isn't that cute? How many women got their toenails painted for Mother's Day? None. Um, there's something about the, the sacrificial love, about doing something for somebody else, even when they can't do anything for you in return, and intuitively, we just hear Rebecca's definition and we go, you're onto something, don't we? And I think we hear that, not just wisdom out of the mouth of babes, but wisdom contrasted with what we're getting from our culture at the moment. Because I find it kind of disturbing that our culture's definitions of love are moving away from a sacrificial other person-centred focus to a kind of a what can I get out of it? And, and here I think are the two more common versions of our culture's current definitions of love. And the first one is this. Um, love is uh, backing somebody. 
believing in somebody. So to love someone means that if they're passionate about something or if they're committed to something, that you're behind them 100%. You agree this is what's right for them and to love them is to help them flourish and become the best version of themselves. And yet, on Mother's Day, for those of us who are mums, we know some of the choices our children make and some of the aspirations that they have might not be the best. They might not lead to a full, well-balanced, meaningful life. Or they might not be possible. They might just be uh, pipe dreams that are ultimately going to lead to disappointment. And so that's one of the lies. A, A second is that love is a feeling, you fall in love and you are overwhelmed by love and love carries you along and it covers over a multitude of sins um, so that uh, when you feel in love, there's this kind of chemical connection between you and another person. Whereas Rebecca's definition nails that intentional, sacrificial giving up of yourself for the good of the other, even when they can't repay you. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is, of course, the famous passage in Scripture about love. And let's read a little of that. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I might boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now we've looked at 1 Corinthians in the last year or so and we have uh, become aware that there are some spiritual elitists in Corinth some super spiros who kind of prance around as if they're closer to God and they can hear from the angels. And they're um, claiming a, a status in the church. You know, I can hear from the angels. In fact, I can even converse with heavenly beings. Um, and I have the gift of prophecy and I can understand all sorts of mysteries. Uh, imagine having faith that can move mountains, the capacity to turn wheels that overwhelm other people. You can have all of these desirable, powerful traits, but if you don't have love, Paul says, you've got nothing. Now, I find this a very timely word because We live in a culture where we think about our passions as unique to us. I have this passion and I don't happen to have that passion. Perhaps uh, it might be closest to the Christian concept of gifts. You know, Uh, I've got these gifts. I might have the gift of hospitality, but I might not have the gift of um, welcoming or of generosity or uh, whatever it is. And... um, 
you know, I've got these gifts, you've got those gifts, uh, and, and I don't need to be jealous of your gifts. I just need to kind of do whatever it is that God's equipped me to do. And I think we can kind of say, you know what? I, I'm a practical person. I do things. I, I mightn't be able to connect with people or be very loving. And, but you know what? I've got different... You can't go there. It doesn't matter what you do. If you don't have love, it counts for nothing. Love is not one of these optional, I might have it, I might not have it, it's not really me, I don't have to try, I can focus on what, what I'm wired to do. No. You can give everything you've got to the poor, you can hand over your body to hardship, and it counts for nothing if you don't have love. It's not about what you do or how much you can achieve. Paul goes on, and this is the part we know from weddings, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Beautiful, isn't it? I want you to do an exercise with me. I want you to replace the word love and I want you to put your name into it. So, Jamie is patient, Jamie is kind, Jamie does not envy. That's what my notes say. <laughs> He's not proud. Uh, David as soon as you put your name in there, you just kind of go, oh, hang on a sec. Uh, aspirationally, I'd like to think that that was true, but, you know, there are times and there are moments. Uh, and Emma mentioned that where we just aren't like that. We all fall short of this standard of love. Whereas... The love that Paul is talking about just keeps giving and giving and giving. Uh, we haven't been able to drive up Macquarie Pass recently, but imagine we could and we went to uh, one of the waterfalls and it's been raining lots lately and there's just uh, litres and gigalitres of water pouring over and you're standing under this waterfall, and you come with your little drink bottle, and you try and squirt a little bit of water back up the waterfall. It's a pointless task, isn't it? That's the volume of love, the energy that Paul is talking about, that type of love. Notice what, what else is missing, right? Because I think and I didn't mention this earlier, but if we have another flaw in our current definition of love, it's kind of like love is a trade, a transaction. I love you and then you love me. And I'll be in this relationship so long as it's beneficial for you and it's beneficial for me. So long as I'm filling your tank and you're filling my tank. Right? So we think about love as like a boomerang. Right? And so we love in order to be loved. And the more that 
we love and the more that we feel loved, the more that we can kind of love others, right? And it's this nice upward spiral. And we love because we, we want people to think well of us or we love because we want to be liked or we care for others, conscious that there might be a time when we're in our hour of need and perhaps they will feel obliged to care for us in return. Or we grant the requests of others, somehow doing some mental maths and thinking that they will owe us a favour and maybe they will fulfil our needs or desires at some other point in the future. That's kind of how love works in our culture, but not in Paul's letter. Not in the New Testament. Love is other person-centred. It's giving without receiving. It's patient. It's kind. We do hear this passage at weddings, don't we? And um, I don't know if I've told you this, um, but uh, I went to Melbourne recently. My son got engaged, uh, which is kind of exciting, but it also means I've got another wedding coming up. Right? This will be the sixth wedding that I have to pay for, uh, and I only have four children. Isn't COVID a blessing, right? Um, two of them had two weddings. Uh, I was speaking to my son this week. Um, he's, he and his fiance have decided they're having 170 guests. Um, so that's going to be exciting. Um, I am looking forward to it, actually. Uh, and she's a, she's a lovely girl. Um, here's one of the things about gifts, right? And we'll do it with Christmas first and then come back to weddings. It's kind of like, you know, when you have people over for Christmas, maybe not your immediate family, but some extended family or friends, or like, and then they bring you a gift and you haven't got one for them? Oh, doesn't that feel awkward? And you know what that kind of betrays, that sort of feeling that you're having? We just so automatically assume that Gifts are a transaction. I give you a gift and then you have to give me a gift. Gifts come with obligation. But that, that's not what Paul's talking about. Weddings can be a bit like that, right? I will invite you to my wedding and I or my parents or my parents-in-law will pay for you to come to my wedding and then you have to buy me a gift, right? Um, but Paul here is saying, no. Love gives even at times where we don't receive back. Love is intentionally sacrificial, giving of yourself for the good of the other. And Rebecca's definition about grandma and grandpa nailed that. I don't know if you kind of listen to music or watch movies or the Disney Channel. As a culture, maybe as a, as a race... We are just fascinated by love, aren't we? We yearn for it. Uh, we raise our children, um, but telling them that they ought to anticipate it and expect it, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. Um, C.S. Lewis was reflecting on this, and he talks about how this is one of the reasons why he actually became a Christian. Uh, he was a fervent atheist, um, but he says this, there is something in humanity 
that the stories that we are obsessed with, the stories that every culture keeps coming back to, are that of a battle between good and evil and the story of love, unconditional love. And perhaps you know a little bit of, say, Greek mythology or Shakespeare. Or, and, and those stories are there, aren't they? Good and evil, but also this yearning for unconditional love. Well, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, this is, this is beautiful, but I, I kind of like, I got a bit of a concern here. So I'm supposed to love other people unconditionally and I'm supposed to just give and give and give like a, a, a waterfall and, you know, I don't need to receive. Man, I'm on a hiding to nothing with a definition like that. There are people in my life who will just take and I'm supposed to give and give and give. Here's another verse, also from 1 Corinthians. We all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Paul, I'm not asking you to be a doormat and fulfill the whims and fancies of other people in your life just because that's what they think they want or need. There's something constructive about love. It builds others up. It nudges them in the direction of becoming a bit more like Jesus. That ought to be the net effect of love. Well, let's come to today's passage. Dear friends, let us love one another. That's this sermon series, Loving uh, one another. For love comes from God. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the maths is pretty simple, isn't it? We love others because we've been loved first by God. We can love one another because we have been loved by another. Another who was there before the creation of the earth. A love that took lashes, a love that bore nails, a love that laid its, down, its life down for, for one's friends. A love that, as we read in Philippians 2, Jesus Christ emptied himself. Here's another passage about love, Isaiah 49, fit for Mother's Day. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. There's something natural, isn't there, about a nursing mother loving the child that she has born 
that is nursing at her breast, it just, it just kind of wells out of you. It comes automatic. Well, it's kind of conceivable that a mother might forget that. But God's love, and in some ways it's being likened to maternal love here, he never forgets. He has our names engraved on the palms of his hands. I think Jamie's using that as a justification for tattoos, but who knows. <laughs> and so, uh, we're to love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We began in 1 Corinthians 13, right? And we, we know that as the wedding chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Uh, we, we hear it most at weddings. And um, even when the children were asked, what's love? Where they went was they gave a definition of love that, with one exception, was between a, a man and a woman or a husband and a wife. And so our... Uh, natural intuition is to think about love as, well, it's between two people who choose each other and they make a commitment and an ex exclusive commitment. I love you and you love me and we love each other to the exclusion of all others till death do part. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians, or is it? Paul's not writing a text for weddings that we can preach on 20 centuries later. Who's he writing to? He's writing to, in the first instance, a church in Corinth, a church where there are divisions. So what do we read in the first three chapters? There's factions in this church. I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus. They've even got kind of factional leaders. That's how kind of structured and set these factions are. And the church also has divisions around wealth. So in chapter 11, some people are coming to communion and there's kind of like a, uh, an inner party at communion and the wealthy are having great food and drink, maybe a bit too much to drink, and the poor people are going home hungry. There is divisions based on some people saying, I'm more spiritual than you. I can hear from the gods. Uh, I can hear from the, the angels and the spirits. I can perform miracles or I have this gift which is more important than your gift. And people are looking down on others or envious of others. And we will discover when we get to chapter 15 that there are theological divisions about the resurrection. Paul is writing to this divided, factionalized church and he's saying, love one another. The people who snub you, the people who don't invite you into the inner circle, the people who judge you, the people who exclude you, the people who are in a different faction than you, love them with this selfless, 
other person centered love. That's quite a call, isn't it? That's what this passage is about. It's about the church at Corinth or the church at Dapto being known for its love, not despite the fact, but that overwhelms the fact that there are natural differences and divisions between people in this church, in every church. And we are to be known for our love. Uh, a friend of mine uh, in Tassie uh, grew up a non-Christian. Uh, he was a North Shore Sydney boy, uh, went to a private school, played rugby, smart guy, graduated from law at university, um, and somehow started dating a, a Christian girl and, and went to church. Um, and you know what he discovered when he went to church? There were weird people at church, some awkward, odd people. And there were those in his school and at university and his uh, rugby club. And except in school, the misfits were like the butt end of the jokes, right? Um, they were, you know, kind of made fun of and... Um, and it was the same in, in the rugby club, but in church, my friend was so impressed by the way that Christians loved the socially awkward, unlovable people that he said, there's got to be something to this love from Jesus. So here's my question. Who are you going to love this week? Someone from a different clique than you? Someone who you might have invested in in the past and you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know what, I, I went there and I gave and they took and I got nothing back and I'm feeling exhausted and taken for granted and... Perhaps you could love again because you've been loved not by that person but firstly by God. Perhaps you might love somebody who can't repay you or somebody who has withdrawn during this COVID season and is isolated and hasn't reached out to you. Perhaps you could take the first step and reach out to them. The people of Jesus ought to be known as his disciples by the way we love. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you loved us first, that you loved us so much that you sent your son. We thank you, Jesus, that you loved and died for us whilst we were your enemies. And we thank you that by your spirit we have been filled with a love that overflows and we pray that we might think and act and be selfless, self-giving people 
the way, Jesus, you were for us. And that people would see you, Jesus, in the way that we love and care for one another. And that some would come to know you as a result. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.